Zosha writes, what the Lord was doing during that week was incredible, and we feel honored that we could be a part of it. The conclusion is that we should never despise small beginnings. Please pray for us that God would work in these children's hearts and that we would find uh, a way to reach out to them during the school year. English is Friendly was a bigger venture uh, and more strenuous. You've certainly blessed those people that you interacted with with your friendship. Many people expressed their gratitude for the course and said they, they had a great time. We wish that we could see some of them, uh, we, we could see that some of them had some spiritual craving and experienced God during our services on Wednesday and Sunday. We are convinced that there is much more happening in the lives of others who heard about Jesus. Let us continue to pray about these people that Satan wouldn't fool them any longer. We wish you could stay here longer to do work on them. But it's time for us to switch into Polish only. That's from Mark and Zosha. Our short-term missions trips have a purpose. We play a part. We partner with these people to help them reach their culture and their country for Christ. And that is why we go. We have the opportunity to reach into their lives, to offer help, hope, and healing in Jesus' name. We see this in the Scriptures. The passage that that Steve read for us this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn there right now. We see this in the Scriptures. How we have the opportunity, if we would just open our eyes and do something, as Pastor Rick mentioned last week, to see the needs around us and just jump in where we have those opportunities. In this passage in Luke, Luke recounts an experience that Jesus had with a religious kind of pious leader in that area. This religious person who knew the law inside and out, he knew all about religion, asked Jesus this important question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a question that we continue to hear today in our culture from our people that are, that are around us. What must I do to inherit eternal life? People are looking for some kind of activity. People are looking for some kind of action. What is the next thing that I can cross off the list that will guarantee me this inheritance of eternal life? Jesus masterfully spins that conversation back to the man and says, you have this background, you have this knowledge, what does the law say? And the man says, well, the law says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, do this and you will live. Do these things and you will live. The, the religious leader looks at Jesus and he says, but who's my neighbor? Do all of these things. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live. But the man says, and, and look at how Luke phrases that question. But the man wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? 
See, I've got no problem with the loving God part. I will love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. All my, I mean, don't you know I'm a religious leader? Don't you know I'm an expert in Bible study? Don't you know I know all of the Christian lingo? I know what fellowship means, okay? I've got all of this down. But who's my neighbor? You asked me to love my neighbor as well. You see, he wasn't asking for clarification. He wasn't asking to get more insight. He wasn't asking to see how far his love for people should extend. Instead, he wanted to justify what he was not doing. He wanted to determine those who he didn't need to show love to. He wanted to be justified as he excluded people from his life. Others of different cultures, others of different backgrounds, others of different religious views, others who are in different economic positions, others who are, who, who work in different positions in our workforce or, or even in our own jobs. You know, I don't really want to associate with them, so I want to exclude them. I'm told though to love my neighbor because I know the scriptures so well. I need to love my neighbor, but, but who is my neighbor? Is it okay that I exclude these people? He wanted to love others based on their power. He wanted to love the people who would give something back to him. He wanted to love the people who were neat and clean and friendly. People of prominence. People of position. It's easy to love those people. It's easy to love the people who don't have messy lives. I'm just going to love those people. And if we're not careful, we do the exact same thing. We live our lives of faith and worship. We live our lives of religious rule and order only to neglect the neighbors in our life because they're not like us. And in our crisis of conscience, we ask God, well, who's my neighbor? God, who, who am I really to love? Jesus answered the question, again, masterfully through a parable. And he tells the parable of a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he was walking along that common road, a very common road in that day, a road that was dangerous. He was attacked by robbers. He was beaten and stripped of all that he had until he was left half dead. Quite a hopeless situation. But along comes a priest. Along comes somebody who has given their life to, to God, to serve God. And so perhaps if anybody is going to reach out to this man to offer help, hope, and healing, this priest would do it. But what do the Scriptures say? What does Jesus say as the priest approached him, as he saw his state of need? What did this priest do? He walked and passed by on the other side. He saw the man's need and he passed by on the other side. Then a Levite came by, a religious person by heritage, a religious person by uh, by practice, 
surely He too would help. Surely He too would stop and offer some help. When He came to the place, He saw Him. And He passed by on the other side. Then came a Samaritan. Person of a different background, person of a different culture, person of, who, who grew up in a society and a region that had completely different religious views than the priest and the Levite. Somebody that was despised by, by the naturally Jewish people. It was the Samaritan. In verse 33, as he traveled, as he traveled through life, as he was just going about his everyday normal life, I'm just trying to get from today to tomorrow. As he traveled through life, he came to where the man was. He came up to him. He saw him. He saw what was going on in his life. He came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. A better rendering of this word is actually compassion. And the word for compassion in this sense is not so much, oh, I feel sorry for you. Here's a couple of bucks. I hope you're okay. The word for compassion here is the man saw the need. He saw what was going on in this person's life and it turned his stomach. It turned his stomach and it compelled him to action. I see what is going on and I have to do something. I have to get involved. God has worked in my life so much that when I see this, it turns me on the inside and I have to do something. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds. He poured oil on, on, and wine on him. Just the first beginning steps of healing. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense. These two silver coins, some people estimate, is worth at least one or two months' wages. One or two months' wages. Think of your own job. Think of your own bank account. One or two months' wages is what was given to this person who was wounded in life by this stranger who was just trying to get through life and he saw a need and he was compelled to action. And he said to the innkeeper, I'm going to come back and if you need more, I'll give you more. And thus we have the parable that we've come to know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as I thought through this this week, I wondered in my mind, why is it called the parable of the Good Samaritan? And I wondered if it was because the church did nothing. You see, it's not the parable of the good priest. It's not the parable of the righteous Levite. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because when all else failed, when the church was absent, when the religious people and the priests and those who knew the law and those who followed God and those who had given their lives to Him and said, I will worship you and I will follow you, when they all chose to pass, pass by on the other side, it was this man, this Samaritan, this outcast himself who said, I will help. I wonder if it's because 
the church was absent. We say we love God. We say that we're passionately pursuing Him. And if so, are we found loving our neighbor? Are we found loving our neighbor? Jesus asks the expert a leading question as He wraps up the parable. And He says, well, which three of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who had mercy was the reply. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Friends, the Scriptures tell us that the enemy is like a thief who comes to steal and destroy. Like robbers along the path of life. And some of us know people who are walking down this path of life, a path that is dangerous, a path that is common to everyone. They don't see any difference. They don't see any other direction in life. And so they take the path that is common, but they don't know how dangerous it is until they are beaten, until they are wounded, until they are robbed of their identity, until they are left half dead by the choices that they have made in this culture, in this society, in this world, going down a path that is common to everyone. We know people like that. And those people, those friends of ours, are looking for someone, anyone, to just offer them some help, some hope, some healing. And we have the opportunity to bring that in the name of Jesus. Why did Jesus use a Samaritan as the hero of the passage? I think what He was trying to do was to show that, to show these religious people that empty religion does nothing. You may be an expert in the law, but if you don't have compassion, you're empty. You may know all the Bible stories and pronounce all the Old Testament names, but if you don't have mercy, you're empty. You may have perfect attendance, But if you don't have compassion that moves you in your your stomach to do something, you've missed it. For those who call themselves Christ followers, there are no boundaries. There are no boundaries that predetermine how we interact with other people. In God's design, neighbor love knows no boundaries. And so we go. We go across the street. We go across the classroom. We go across our cubicles. We go across cultural and socio-economical lines to offer this help, hope, and healing to people who have been left half dead in this world right around us, right in our own literal neighborhoods. We can do this. And that's why we go around the world. And that's why short-term missions teams are truly good Samaritan teams. They give of themselves to go around the world. They go to where there is a need. They go and they find people in other cultures who are hurting economically, socially, physically, emotionally, and definitely spiritually. They go. 
We offer what we can to the farthest extent that we can give. I will give you all that I can, all that I have. And so we go. And as we go, and as our short-term trips end, we take these people that we've invested in and we hand them over to the innkeeper. The missionaries, the pastors, the religious organizations, and we say, we have to leave now. But now you take care of them. Now you pick up the pace. Now you take it from here. And when we do that, we receive letters and emails from the people that we work with and say, God is moving in the hearts and the lives of these people, just like the email we got from Zosha. We hand them off to the innkeeper. And because it's a partnership, we say to them when we leave, When we come back, we will bring more. Whatever need that you have, you let us know because we're coming back. We've entered into a partnership. We've entered into an agreement. And we are here to help. What would happen? What would happen if a small group of people decided to radically love God and love people. Because that's, that's what all of this entire passage boils down to. It begins with a compelling, radical love for God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. It's total commitment to God first. He changes lives He saves people. He offers redemption. And when that happens, when we accept that gift of grace by faith, He changes how we live. He changes how we act. And so the love my neighbor is a natural response out of love for God. What would happen if a small group of people committed themselves to radically loving God and loving people with all that they had. What would happen if in our church we fanned the flame of loving God and loving people and it spread? How many people walking through life half dead would we be able to help? Here in Erie County and around the world. I'd like to find out. But we have to remember it begins with each and every one of us. Because such were some of us. Weren't we? Half dead, walking through life. And someone, somewhere, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was an evangelistic crusade. I don't know what it was or where it was, but somebody saw us. They didn't pass by on the other side. They came right up to us and they said, I know you're half dead. I'm here to offer you help, hope, and healing in Jesus' name. Such were some of us. This table... This table is a reminder of God's commitment and God's compassion on us. For those who would simply accept this free gift, 
God gave everything, even His Son, to die for us. That we would be helped. That we would find hope. That we would be healed. This table is for us. It's a commitment. It's a covenant. And it's a reminder that when He comes back, He will usher us up with Him. We have the opportunity this morning to remember that. As we take communion here at First Alliance Church, you don't need to be a member of this church to participate. You simply need to be a member of God's family where Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, the leader of your life, and the forgiver of your sins. The Scriptures remind us that before we come to the table, we should pause and reflect. We should prepare our hearts. And so, for a moment now, I'm going to ask you to prepare yourself for communion. To take a moment and reflect, how am I loving God How am I loving my neighbor? Take a moment this morning and do business with God in your own heart before we come to the table. Go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and its challenge to us. And we ask that we would be found to be people who are loving you with all that we have. And that we would be people stirred with compassion to love our neighbor. It's in Christ's name we pray. Scriptures tell us that on the night in which he was betrayed, he gathered in the upper room with his disciples and he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then they shared a meal. They ate together and they talked with each other. And following the meal, Jesus took a cup and he said, This cup, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. A new covenant, a new promise. It's no longer through the sacrifices of animals, it's no longer through ritual, it's a sacrifice of my blood that is given for you. Take it and drink. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. 
want to invite you to please hold your elements this morning until everyone has been served and we will take them together.